name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. I'm not going to tell you what movies we saw this week. I'm going to leave that to uh, my esteemed co-host, Christian Matranz... Matransky, I think. Something like that. Matranny. Um, it's, it's with a Z. A totally different guy. <laughs> and we also have with a... Uh, Oh, I, you know what? I can't wait for uh, Dingus, that's what we call him, to do to announce the movie, because Kelly Wand, you, I presume, have a tagline that relates to the movies, or movie, this week, right? Uh, I guess so. Hang on. Okay, check your notes. Now, oh, by the way, you know what? Before you do the tagline, Kelly Wand, hold on. In case anybody's listening and is like, last week on the podcast, you said that you guys were going to see... You promised. Bride. You promised a double feature with Bridesmaids and Meek's Cutoff. Uh, I, I'm afraid that didn't exactly happen this week. Oh, people were so looking forward to hearing that combination of movies. I think so. There's a, uh, you know what? And I, I actually, having seen as as one of the two people on this podcast who actually saw both of those movies, I now want to come clean and say that I don't necessarily think they connect. I just wanted everyone to see them both uh, because I was quite fond of both of them. Uh, Dingus, you did you did fall for it. You went and saw Meek's Cutoff as as well as Bridesmaids. However, one of us on this podcast, and I don't want to name anyone, it's, we don't need to play the shame game here, uh, one of us didn't manage to see Meek's Cutoff. So, Kelly Wan, that said, give us a tagline that only applies to Bridesmaids. Even if you've seen Meek's Cutoff, don't, don't use that for your tagline. Uh... My dick does a killer impression of Kristen Wiig's face and shoulders. That's mean. That's mean. I mean that in the classiest sense possible. All right, and that's a bridesmaid. That's a tagline. Now, would you put that on the poster, Kelly Wand? I don't even know her. <laughs> uh, Dickus, tell us about Bridesmaids without spoiling anything. Before people leave because they haven't seen it and spoilers come up, why don't you give us a broad, spoiler-free overview Hang on, I'll be right back. You don't need me for this part. All right. All right. I think Kelly Wan, Kelly Wan just went to see Meek's Cut Off, by the way. <laughs> okay. Should we wait until... <laughs> it's a pretty brief movie. Uh... Sorry. That's okay. I'm back. You missed awesome stuff, Kelly Wan. Can I we think... redo... Just re-say everything, because the listeners probably want to hear it twice anyway. <laughs> if we had listeners. We're not listeners. Uh, Dings, give us our, our overview now that Kelly Wand is back so that you won't miss it of, uh, of Bridesmaids. All right. Uh, so that nobody gets confused with the other Bridesmaids. Uh, this week we saw Bridesmaids, a 2011 American comedy movie. Wait, hold on, hold on. There's another Bridesmaids? There's an America? <laughs> There's many other Bridesmaids. Like there were some at my that... wedding. Ah, uh, see, no. But there, there are there movies called Bridesmaids that aren't. Uh, I ask because I want to. I want to briefly. Rec well, I, I want. Sometimes movies have the same name. It gets very confusing. Are there other Bridesmaids? Like Deep Rising, and I mean Deep Impact and Armageddon had the same name. Mm, close. Like Slacker and the other Slacker, the Crispin Glover, and then the um, Linkletter. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of a really cool Australian movie that I saw recently called Noise that came out the same year as a really horrible Tim Robbins movie called Noise. 
Uh, and I, I will be posting something about the Australian one, but I realize that you have to be careful when you talk about it because the same year two movies came out called Noise, one of which is terrible, one of which is really good. Uh, so I didn't know if there was another Bridesmaids for real or if, uh, Dingus, you were just pulling our leg. What about when you see Running Scareds on, you go, oh, boy, Paul Walker, and then it's the Gregory Hines. Exactly, Kelly Wand. It's exactly what could happen. So, Racist. So, Dingus, is that a credible threat when it comes to people seeing Bridesmaids? Yes. What is? I wasn't listening. Uh, well, there's uh, there's a couple. There's a, there's a TV version. There's Revenge of the Bridesmaids. I've heard. I'm sure you guys have heard of Revenge <laughs> of the Bridesmaids. I've seen the. Uh, and I think there's. Um, I, I know when I was looking at this that that others popped up when I was doing IMDb, and I think there's something from the Philippines too, but I can't look that up now. But mm. I I know that there's there's things from TV, and there's something called Revenge of the Bridesmaids. Okay, so, yes, so we're. And we're talking about the 2001 American Humor movie, I think you called it. No, I'm, I'm talking about 2011. 2011, shut up. Right. I, it's, what's a one between friends, please? I was close enough. That's a good point. Tom Mangles numbers. <laughs> it's math, man. I can't do math. All right, Dingus, yeah. I'm sorry. Carry on. So the 2000, or 2011 American Humor movie, Bridesmaids, <laughs> take it away. Well, I would call it an American comedy movie, but a humor movie is fine, I guess. Um, and it's directed by Paul Feig and written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, which are all those names are awesome. Uh, the film stars Kristen Wiig as a young woman traveling through Oregon in 1845. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, that's not true. You just lied to everyone. Listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. I t- hold on. Oh, what, uh... <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. It's actually about a woman whose friend, played by Maya Rudolph, asks her to serve as her maid of honor. I'm, I I apologize. The film is rated R for strong sexuality and language throughout. Mm. Yeah, it's constant language. Yeah, the C word is in there. Country? Cowboy. Yep. Cowboy country strong is in there. Cut off. Oh, God, he's talking. All right, yeah, I'm done. All right, so uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you take over now? Uh, why don't you spoil for everyone the 2011 American Humor movie in which a young woman in Oregon, I'm sorry, in which Maya Rudolph's friend is, is getting married. Uh, give us a, a synopsis. <laughs> you, admit, you fucked that up, even. Are you trying to be funny? <laughs> That's funnier than me. That's funnier than anything I'm about to say. What, did, the, what did I screw up there? I, I did exactly what Maya I did. Maya Rudolph's to do. friend is getting, Okay. <laughs> oh, you're going to screw that up. Right, right. Actually, now you, you screwed up. That you, you you just could have gotten away with it. Just sounds like, oh, did it on purpose. And then you sounded surprised. And I added, now you'll say this was on purpose. Right. Uh, but he can't do math. Whatever. <laughs> what? Oh. Okay. Uh, oh, here's my runner-up catchphrase. Mm-hmm. In Russia, bridesmaid mail orders you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very good. Representative of what you're about to hear. Uh, some American humor. Uh, okay, so there's a wagon train. <laughs> uh, oh, I mentioned the wagon train movie to um, some people, and one of them went, oh, the one with Rutger Hauer? <laughs> the end. Okay. Bruce Greenwood is in it, but he's pretty unrecognizable, so you could easily, I think, see Meek's cutoff and not be sure whether or not you had just seen a movie with Rutger Hauer. 
Mm. There is so much incredible hair work done by Bruce Greenwood and Mix cut off that uh, that could be. Rutger Howard does a good job with hair work in Hobo with a Shotgun, though. So, you know what? That's, that's my three by three uh, craziest facial hair this year, besides Rutger Howard and and Bruce Greenwood. Uh, the head's part of the face. It's just the top part. So it should be when people say facial hair, they should mean. Good point. Oh, yeah, it's very cool. It's like a goatee for your head. All right. That's why people say I have eyes in the back of my face. Ew. Uh, did have you have you talked to anyone who saw Meeks cut off Kelly Wand? Besides you, you losers. All right. Because uh-huh. it's only playing in Pasadena, which means a lot to our out of town listeners. <laughs> Uh, it's a very limited release. Uh, well, it's point, I just, yeah. You know what? I saw it as voting with my wallet. Like, I wanted to see it, but since my nearby Torrance theaters weren't playing it, I'm not going to see anything. Like, that's showing them anything. Like That'll that. learn Hollywood, yeah. yeah. It's cut off is, I can't imagine it. Oh, yeah, like, it, it's definitely the kind of movie that's just going to sort of drift around aimlessly amongst various art houses before finally getting a DVD release. Uh, it's a challenging movie. Um, mm, I, I, sounds good now. That's know, hardly voting with your wallet. That's voting with your car. I know. <laughs> I was trying to trick myself into thinking I was voting at all. Like staying home and not going to the ballot box is a vote for not you, none of the system. It's a vote for monarchy. It's like, and so Kelly Wand, you're the movie going equivalent of a tea partier. Yeah, I'm a tea bagger. Yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of, <laughs> let's get back to some American humor. Oh, that's a great segue. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, all right, give I, us know, some. Go, go ahead. Things that it's that uh, makes cut off as a challenging movie makes me just want to talk about it so freaking badly. But go let's ahead. talk about teabagging instead. Well, six of one. Teabagging was big back then. That's why. I mean, that's it's a, an 18th century tradition. Well, grinding uh, grinding coffee was a euphemism for what? Okay, bridesmaids. I want to hear you talk about bridesmaids right now, Kelly. One right now. All right, here it comes. Here comes the talking. Um, <clears throat> please note that more the procrastination. There's usually a reason. All right, so this lady named Kristen Wig bangs John Hamm because he never makes her cook or makes the bed. Or lies to her. Wait, he never makes her cook or makes her make the bed or lies to her. Get it? Much better. And his driveway has a vibrating gate. And uh, she's sad because her cock baby store got shut down because her only customer was Canadian. And her friend Maya Rudolph has lunch with her. And they talk about how dicks are always on their faces, but at least it's John Ham's. And Maya Rudolph's worried because her boyfriend calls her Gary a lot and makes her wear a dildo and is really obsessive about Paul Walker and Casey Affleck movies. But then he proposes they get married, and she's all, you asshole. And he's all, no, I meant to each other. And she's all, aw, I love that dowries no longer exist. So she asks Kristen Wiig to be her bridesmaid and plan everything instead of using a professional because Kristen Wiig is her good judgment friend 
because she opened the cock baby store in the middle of the recession and she lives with a pair of mutants and she bangs dicks and has tants. So there's a party and Rose Burns there and she's rich and hot, which Kristen Wiig hates because she's poor and hot. So they take turns making toast to how great Maya Rudolph is and no one else makes any toast because she's not that great. And Kristen Wiig makes everybody go to a restaurant in Bolivia where they all get diarrhea and shit all over each other. But you don't see any shit because it's only an R-rated women's ranch fest. And we live in a police state. And Maya Rudolph's too sick to go in the alley, so she goes in the street. But we don't see any poo still. Although the construction worker under the manhole cover, she's squatting over is all, sure ain't the seven-year itch. Wait, there's more. And they get on a plane to go to the Chippendales in Wyoming, where Kristen Wiig can afford the drinks, but she's afraid of sobriety. So Roseburn gives her some acid and Viagra, and she chases it down with a fuzzy navel, a screwdriver, and also some alcoholic drinks. And it makes her loosey-goosey. So she keeps going into first class and farting on John Ritter, and she mispronounces this guy Stove's name. So she hijacks the plane and crashes it into the, uh, the Wyoming Corn Monument. So they take a bus back, but she has a phobia about traveling by ground, and she takes control of the bus and drives it to the Earth's core. And someone vandalizes her sign, so it says Cake Store. And she meets a Canadian cop who surprises her by buying a bunch of ingredients and cooking equipment and going, After you make my next five meals, I thought maybe we could paint my garage and clean out my rain gutters. What's all that about? And he shows her how to use a radar gun to arrest uh, black people and how to fingerprint her vagina and keep dumping him for John Hamm. And she goes to the bridal shower and gives Maya Rudolph a picture of John Hamm's dick on her face and some leaves from the rain gutters and an IOU for the bus ticket from Wyoming. But Rose Byrne gets her a beautifully wrapped Gwyneth Paltrow's head. So Kristen Wiig has a tan and breaks a cookie that she made at her bakery and splashes poo water um, with Augustus Gloop from the birdbath onto the dog poo in the lawn but the fat bridesmaid comes over to her house and goes, that was totally reasonable what you did. And Rose Byrne comes over and apologizes to Kristen Wiig for Kristen Wiig destroying all her gifts. And Maya Rudolph's missing, so they call the cop and ask him where she is. And he taps a radio button and says, isn't she getting married right now? And they're all, yay, thanks. And they go to the wedding. And Maya Rudolph's favorite musician is Richard Wagner. So they've had his remains disinterred and put in a suit and sat down next to a gramophone that's playing his music and lasers come out of his skull sockets and uh, his butt, his butthole. Tom, get that? Was that, and, that was a MacGruber reference, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Thank See? you. Well uh, done. Uh, <laughs> For dingus more. Uh, and had it been burned. had it been bleached is what I'm asking. Mm, dingus, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> See, she has an obsession with that. But she didn't write the movie. Okay, anyway. Rose Byrne goes to rides here. So Kristen Wiig marries the skeleton of Richard Wagner, and the Canadian marries John Hamm, and the fat chick marries a sandwich, and the chick from Reno 911 also marries the sandwich because it's Mormon. The end. <sighs> All right, Kelly Wand. Well done. Uh, oh, nice. Comedies are hard. I understand. I understand. She said. We understand. So, which movie had a better wedding scene, this or MacGruber? MacGruber. Interesting. Dingus, do you concur? Uh, I just want to say, which one of you fucking chuckleheads made me see MacGruber before this? <laughs> Come on. What's How wrong dare with you? MacGruber? Yeah. I'll totally. I made Tom like it. Like he was all, yeah, it's okay. And then I went, what about this, 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 this? And I like rattle off nineteen things that happened. Yeah, Dingus, that. you just need Kelly Wan to walk you through it, and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's like getting a dick hey, stuck in my face. That's what it is oh, well, like. We didn't yeah, like. They you know, always like to put dicks in your face. They love doing that. You didn't like the turkey. Come on, what about Ryan Philippe and the celery stalk? Ah. Come on, Dingus. Come on, Dingus. Uh, Ryan Philippe. I love that guy. He was the only thing. Uh, I mean, I... I Tristan Wig, you I like cannot her not love Dingus. Dingus, get, like, get, Dingus, I'm only getting... So unrelenting, unrelentingly stupid. Oh, Duh. why did yeah, I that's... watch that? God damn it. I went to see... I, I watched MacGruber, and you couldn't bother to see Meek's Cutoff. You fucker. Yeah, Kelly Wand. But first of all, Dingus... Being stupid is part of it, what did, it's MacGruber. What I think it went expect? over his head. I think oh, he didn't understand it. No, it went under my ass. <laughs> Dingus, you didn't like Maya Rudolph's little look at the wedding, um, where she like pretends she's gonna wait. I'm gonna object. You didn't like that. I think Dingus is a little too highbrow for. Uh, he he thinks... likes your highness, but not MacGruber. That's just insanity. Dingus loved Tron Legacy, if I recall correctly. And Avatar. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring up Avatar because that one's true. That's, so <laughs> That's not fair. Kelly, <laughs> oh my god. Like me bringing up Zapped anytime you mention something stupid. Have you seen it? Zapped? Yeah. Of course, I watched it whenever I needed to jerk off as a teenager. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, let's bring this back. That's to just little... the Scott Mayer part. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so here's wow. the deal with MacGruber, is that MacGruber, it, Kristen Wiig is just such, she's so, she's such a good sport in crappy movies. So one of my favorite things about Bridesmaids was finally giving her the kinds of roles that guys like Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd have been doing all along. There's no reason that, that someone like Kristen Wiig can't do a movie like that. Uh, you know, she's, her cute little bits in MacGruber, like she was so game about the sex scene, for instance, in MacGruber, which I thought was was funny. It was totally lowbrow and really stupid. Um, so, you up. yeah, that was awesome. Like, what? No, let me do the talking. I, so that's Dingus that's didn't get fair. it. Yeah. Dingus doesn't get sex jokes. It's my new theory. Dingus, which sex scene is better? Kristen Wiig with John Hamm in Bridesmaids or Kristen Wiig with... I don't know the dude's name. Who's the dude who plays MacGruber? With whatever his name is in MacGruber. Will Forte. Will Forte. That what? That's a terrible name. Uh, with Will Forte in MacGruber. Uh, clearly the bridesmaids one because it's out of the way first thing. Did you not find it hilarious though? Were you like, ooh, this is uncomfortable? Which one? Which one? Uh, that you said it's out of the way first thing in bridesmaids. Her her having bad sex with John Hamm. Uh, why did you feel that that needed to be out of the way? Because I thought it was funny. 
Oh, I thought it was hilarious. And I thought it was a great, uh, what's, what's so wonderful about that for me, um, isn't necessarily that scene, but, <laughs> Um, her scene in the morning, and then the scenes that follow with Maya Rudolph, the, the juxtaposition is so perfect, and it's such a great way to set up those characters and their relationship um, that I, I totally loved that. And the, that, that sex scene, in uh, the, the beginning sex scene of Bridesmaids made me think more of that awful, awkward sex scene. <laughs> In Spanglish, then it made me think of MacGruber. Um, no, 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 no. Because uh, because this is them. I just love Kristen Wiig's face. I love the way she's. Uh, we're not in the same rhythm here, and she's clearly not having a good time. But but she's doing what she feels like she needs to do and wants you know to sort of make something happen as far as getting a boyfriend at some point. And I just loved her. She's so freaking great. And what you said about her getting to play this character that Paul Rudd has played uh, and why not is, is just dead on. And I just loved, I loved watching her throughout that scene and then watching her in that, in the morning do the primping and then jump back into bed thing. I, it was not something I'd ever seen before. I loved it. So first of all, I have to clarify because I can't, I disagree so strongly, Dingus. It's the wrongest thing you've said since not objecting to Avatar. Uh, <laughs> comparing to the sex, the sex scene in Spanglish is the creation of someone who has no idea what sex is like. There is nothing. The sex scene in Spanglish is like if, if aliens came from outer space and, and made a movie about humanity, knowing nothing about humanity. That's what the sex scene in Spanglish is like. That's what they like would Like Attack imagine. of the Clones. No, but, but, what, but why, why I think of that is that that scene is unintentionally horrible, and it, it's just everything that's wrong about sex. And this sex scene is, is devised by people who understand what sex is, but right. understand also how to make it funny and awkward without making us want to throw up. It's also character development. Exactly. It's, by the way, it's it's great. It's a great introduction to these two characters. It says it speaks volumes about them, uh, and there's nothing like that in Spanglish. In Spanglish, I think it's played as a, a joke or, or, or whatever. Uh, no, no, no. That that scene is horrible. And but th- this scene uh, is is horrible. But but it's it's horrible in a different way. I mean, the, the first thing you hear is him saying, "Cut my balls," and her saying, and her and her just going, uh, "Okay," you know, and, but. But it's it the tone is is absolutely spot on and in Spanglish all you feel is horrible for these actors. Right. Uh, so uh, so you liked it. You liked Bridesmaids. Ha ha. Ha ha. I I absolutely loved it. You know and uh, I ah man I, I know you guys didn't care for it much but uh, and I will be the one I, one person I in like. this podcast who will stand and say that Bridesmaids is brilliant and and I absolutely loved it. So you guys go ahead and talk against it. I want to say actually that I knew that scene the trailer. I, I when the trailer I remember I don't know what I was seeing but the trailer for Bridesmaids came on I was like oh god this is going to be terrible and by the time the trailer was over I was yeah. won over. I was like wow okay whatever they're going to do I want to see that. Uh, in the you trailer, watched the trailer? The chick, uh, I didn't know right. not to. I didn't know it was bridesmaids. <laughs> right, exactly. I thought it was gonna be a chick flick. Uh, and then it tricked. It, it got us psyched up. I had the same experience. And, you, and the thing, the thing is, watching bridesmaids, I got to watch all the trailers before it. I didn't have to close my ears. It was great. Yeah, some of those movies, though, you you don't know. They might end up being awesome, like bridesmaids. I so, promise so, you, they won't. I promise. Okay, uh, Kelly Wand now. Bridesmaids, you hate movies where characters are redeemed and learn life lessons. So why does Bridesmaids get a pass from you? Because I tried to block it out, and I also liked um, I liked the cop. 
and I wanted him to be happy. <laughs> but uh, I have one complaint with Bridesmaids. Are we to the complaint section yet? And it's really my only big thing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and There's a scene in Something About Mary that the Farrelly brothers said was like really a, a crucial scene that no one notices, and it's like the part where Matt Dillon's telling Ben Stiller that he's found Mary in Florida and she's got one leg or something and she's she's gigantic and she has like nine different kids from nine different fathers and all this and the next scene then and he's just doing that so he can have her but then the next scene it's like Ben Stiller going well maybe I could still help her and go down like he still cares like he still wants to do something it's like oh so that's why he deserves the Cameron Diaz character that's what makes him the cool hero and it's like in Bridesmaids, the scene where that should have been was when she calls, like, if she, if she calls John Hamm after she breaks down in the third act, she doesn't deserve him. Like, it would only have worked if she'd, if he just happened to call her right then when she's at the, when she's in her car and uh, the cop's already on his way or something. But for her to call both of them, and it doesn't show her calling him, and it seems out of character that late in the movie. You're using the you're using the pronoun him too much. <laughs> Who does what she want? deserve? What do you mean? She doesn't deserve uh, the Irish, no, the Canadian guy, if she's calling John Ham to pick her up at the same time. Well, I, I get what you're saying. So, Kelly Wand, I think you're trying to say that there's a little bit of a. Like the character isn't a complete angel. She's doing like a crappy thing here. I think it's a, and I think it's always it's like women can get. It seems like women characters get free passes on stuff like. That. Well, Kelly, I think what you're missing is that the the plot has been conveniently set up at this point where she's already ditched the cool Irish cop. Like she can't call him for help because she's already freaked out and abandoned that relationship. Uh, you know, and her friends don't like her anymore. So that when her car breaks down, she has to call John Ham because that's all that's left. Um, I, uh, I don't. And then the, but then the cop just shows up. Well, he's a well, yeah, he's yeah. a trooper. That's I mean, exactly. It's eh. on it's on his beat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's convenient, but I don't think I don't I don't think Kelly. When I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's the case here. <laughs> that's necessarily a character choice so much as a plot contrivance. Uh, it's one I think ruins her character. Oh, it ruins her character. Oh, how so? Oh, whoa. It's just too dumb. I mean, it's she's. <sighs> Who else is she going to call? Yeah, she just needs a ride at this point. Call Auto Move. Club. She calls the one person. I mean, Who, no, tr- no, literally. She, Who else is she going to call then? Who else? A taxi. <laughs> Kelly she doesn't doesn't have any money. She's totally ah. flat broke. She doesn't ah. have AAA. She can't call a taxi. So she Dingus, calls John Hammond. Plus, this Dingus, gives her a chance to ditch him. Dingus, could she call one of the mutants, one of the X-Men with whom she lives? Uh, she might be able to do that telekinetically. No, actually, no way. You know what, Dingus? Actually, no. I can just shoot a hole in Dingus's. I, I don't think this is a big deal, but it, it, well, as long as we brought it up, let's 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 see it through to its end. Why didn't she call her mom, Dingus? Go. Because yeah. her mom is at the uh, bridesmaids party. Oh. Then she that she would still help her. <laughs> her mom's I'm at busy. the party. How, she can't call her mom. Her mom doesn't have a, a telephone because she's a That's not that. an alcoholic. Ah, good point. Alcoholics aren't allowed to have cell phones. That's what? <laughs> I, 
actually, so the real reason, of course, is that so we can have John Hamm drive up and say, hey, what's up, buddy? And have that great line about that cop talks weird. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's an awesome scene. I just think it should have been even more contrived, I guess. Well, I, I so she's uh, Kristen Wiig and she's just done. She's just gone completely over the edge right before that. I mean, she can't just be. I don't know. She's well, got here's so it's that, like, a, like Runaway Bride was on this morning. It's like here's another character. It's like she's destroyed three lives. She's walked away from three weddings. But the, Richard Gere's always getting hit with the newspaper because he's the reporter. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Runaway Bride, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, but I, I so Kelly Wan, you mentioned that as an objection. My only potential objection, and the more I think about it, the more I don't mind it, is that it had a really pat contrived tidy ending yeah and it's a good enough movie that i think it can hold up without having such a contrived bow put on it but ultimately in the end i don't mind because like you said that irish cop i love that actor by the way i love the fact that i'd never seen him in anything before i you know what i when i saw i love you man i had never seen um the non-Paul Rudd dude. What's his? Jason Siegel? Is that his Jason name? Jason Siegel. Yeah. yeah, I'd never seen him in anything before. So I, I love when a character appears and ends up being like a major factor in in, in the story. So I love that uh, about Chris O'Dowd in, in Bridesmaids. Um, and I like Kristen Wiig so much, and I ended up liking Chris O'Dowd so much that I'm like okay with this contrived ending where they're just going to live happily ever after at the ending and find each other and – uh, I, it's like, it, it does remind me of the end of I Love You, Man. The end of I yeah. Love You, Man is almost like subversively pat. Like, that's almost, it's almost played for a joke how how pat it is, you know, running to the wedding. And the same thing with a wedding, too. Uh, and I think, some, I think some movies are good enough and human enough, and some movies earn contrived endings and that I'm okay to... But and they could have okay. done better. They could have, I mean, considering they had some really funny set pieces early on in that movie, and it seemed like the ending was awfully perfunctory for such an awesome character. Like, I, I liked Chris O'Dowd, too. He was really, really funny and adorable in the nature of all Canadians, I seem to meet. <laughs> and that's the thing, is, like, he didn't get a, an awesome payoff scene. And so maybe that's what I'm annoyed about. It's like he just shows up, and that's the end of the movie. Wilson Phillips. <laughs> would you guys Would you guys like him as much if I told you what else you had seen him in? I actually looked his his IMDb page, and I thought it was just a bunch of TV stuff. What have we seen him in? You saw him as the blind swordsman in Dinner for Schmucks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did notice that, and I was like, "Who was the blind swordsman?" Uh, wait, was he Canadian in that? Yeah. No, he was Scottish in that. It's a little weird for a Canadian to play a Scots. I I felt the same way, Tom, that that him standing out there in that sort of hapless suit uh, as she walks out was just kind of sad. And I love him. I love that guy. I thought he was great in this and and just great throughout, although he said the word really a little too much. He was like, uh, officer, yeah. really. Uh, yeah, are you talking about like when something like she's doing hard stunts. to believe would happen? He, like, every time that would happen, he would go, really? Which, I love that. Come on. And my favorite, though, it was, was his he, catchphrase. And he, he violated and, and what was so brilliant about it is at one point when John Hamm drove up, instead of going, really, he went, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You expect that is true. Really, okay. And you, you, get a, you win on. me up. You, okay. you won me over that. <laughs> but him just sort of standing there like the hangdog with the little sad tie on. 
uh, I wish they would have found something else to do. But now that I think about it, I don't know what else. Is he going to crash the wedding? Is he right. going to be in, in the in the middle of an emergency or something? I mean, uh, th- what I loved about this movie is that it was constantly breaking my expectations. And yeah. and they didn't do something like that. So that was fine. I mean, it, it did this throughout. There were, there were a number of times where I was thinking, this is where uh, a lazy writer would have done X. And instead... Uh, uh, Kristen Wiig and, An- and Annie Mumolo, uh did something else. They did something that was slightly different. They pushed it a little bit farther, and they tried something a little bit different. And I really, that's why I love the writing of this movie. Well, Kelly Wand, like you mentioned, you, you wish there'd been a payoff for Chris O'Dowd, something. And, and I'm in a way glad they didn't, because there, I want to bring up a couple of scenes where I felt like there wasn't a big payoff. And when we think of payoffs in comedies, the one that comes to mind for me is when Ben Stiller meets uh, Robert De Niro in the, the the first Flockers movie, and things go wrong, and, the, and I think somebody's grandparents' ashes get dumped on the floor, and then the payoff is the cat digging in the ashes because it went to the bathroom. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, a scene gets set up, and then it just completely falls apart, and then there's a neat little payoff or button at the end. And I love that scene in the Flockers. It's very lowbrow. It's stupid humor. Um, it was before those Fockers movies became uh, a franchise and, and, yeah. and are terrible. But but that's like a classic comedy sequence. And I want to bring up two sequences in Bridesmaids that I felt like they didn't have that conventional arc. Like they were written out and they were just much more sort of weird and observational. And they just kind of ended and maybe even went on a little too long. And the two sequences I'm thinking of are the competing speeches that uh, Rose uh, – <laughs> Burn, Rose Byrne and Kristen Wiig give. That scene went on a little bit too long, and I don't. Oh. And that's not. Well, see, that's the thing, Kelly. Want I don't say that as an objection. The the different beats of them going back and forth, they were escalating, but it didn't feel like it was written. It just felt very organic. Like it yeah. wasn't like each one was leading to a written joke. Um, so and this and and similarly, I felt the same way about the airplane sequence. Uh-huh. You know, there was no great big, uh, like, ta-da, like, moment at the end or anything. And there was no, like, here's our wackiest punchline we're saving for the very end. Both of those scenes just kind of played themselves out naturally. And they didn't feel like these little written set pieces with a payoff waiting at the end. And I prefer, I love the way that that, that, that worked. Yeah. Um, I like that, too. And I liked those two in particular. Like, they did just go on forever, but it's, it seemed funnier that way. It was like the entire plane flights in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it felt a lot less calculated and storytelling. Like it didn't feel presentational. It was much more observational. Here's stuff that's happening, and and we're just gonna see it. And it's not gonna have conventional, you, you know, setup punchline, setup punchline, setup big punchline. Right. Structure. I'm curious how much of it was improvised. Dingus, can you uh, can you fill Dingus us in on knows. that? Yeah. Right. Forty-eight uh, <laughs> percent. That's not very much. Because really? Natalie Portman's double said it was like ninety. Oh, ouch! Uh, she was busy preparing for the prequels, so I don't think she was clear on that. <laughs> That's what I love about that first that first scene you're talking about, Tom. Is that the expectation for me is when as soon as Annie uh, takes the mic, she's going to fuck it up. She's going to say something awful, and then she finishes with her toast. And she's done, and you and you get this sense of relief. Oh, we dodged a bullet, and he's not going to fuck it up. She, she just made a nice little toast. It was sweet. It was nice. Fine. And then Helen comes in, 
And it just keeps escalating and escalating and just going and going and going. And I just loved that, that it's not going to be just some dope making a stupid cursing toast and wind up just making a bunch of curses. It's this weird sort of one-upsmanship that happens, and it just sort of peters out. That's what I loved about that. Yeah. Without doing an over-the-top Farrelly Brothers sort of thing. Right. Yeah, it was more natural. Like, this is this could happen. And, and this made it believable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to say that believability is so well-established. And mm-hmm. I, I just fell in love with the movie in that first scene. And I think this, by the way, is... Uh, this is some of the best acting. Obviously, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph know each other and are friends and work together. And, and, and to be able to capture that on film the way they do when they're having breakfast and she's making fun of, of John Hamm's penis, that whole scene was just precious. Yeah. Uh, and it set up this level of believability and, and, and honesty uh, that, that the movie was going to do rather than just playing for lowbrow laughs like a Fairly Brothers movie. And even though that dress shop scene was just... I. I know, I know some people maybe think that the movie could have done without it. And, and again, I sort of feel like, yeah, the movie's good enough. It can have that. It can afford that kind of silliness um, just because it, it's, it, it just earned so much slack after letting me sit there and watch Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph just hang out and talk and have breakfast. Yeah. Uh, oh, I loved the way they, they established their chemistry there. I mean, you have that little mini scene with Terry Crews and everything where they're running through the park. <laughs> Um, but when they're sitting there talking over breakfast and, and they have enough lowbrow humor about pretending, you know, talking about penises and guys sticking in your face and then the stuff with their teeth. But you just get this sense of chemistry between them. But what I really love about that scene is the sense that, that this is, there's parody in this relationship. That these, these, mm-hmm. these, these women are at the same place. They, they've, uh, they've, both been trying to steal a class in the park. They've run off to breakfast together. And then there's a reveal later that, no, they're not in the same place in life. You know, uh, Annie's poor and and um, Lillian, is it Lillian? I'm sorry, isn't. And, and you get the sense of of what the separation in their life is later, but that's a reveal. And I really like how the chemistry sets them up as if they were, as if they were at sort of a, the same level and then they're not. Right. And, and uh, one of the ways that the movie has been described, and I think this is part of the intentional marketing of it, is it's like as a, a hangover with chicks. But I don't recall any of that that level of chemistry. Like, like Hangover was great, and I loved it. But I don't recall any of that sort of human authenticity between the characters or that chemistry between it's the there, characters and the hangover. I thought. It's there because they're good, but is there anything Kelly Wand is convincing as, as Christian Wiig and Maya Rudolph? Uh, as far as their no, connection. but but we're guys, so the exoticness of really hilarious smart women saying insightful shit about stuff is, well, but is that much smarter. But in addition to us being guys, though, I don't think The Hangover is about like in The Hangover they don't know each other beforehand, do they? They all Some know each other through know. the groom. Uh, like they don't. I don't think they're. I think The Hangover is a bit different because they don't have the immediate connection. They're connected to the groom who goes missing, and then they have to find him. Uh, they, they don't know Zach Galifianakis' character, uh, I do remember. Right, but they're all three very specific types of people. Right. And that's kind of how... And that's similar to Bridesmaids. That's what makes Bridesmaids cool. But Bridesmaids has more... Um, I don't know. They're both fine. Do I have to pick one? Well, no, I but, guess but it's that's like... a really good point, is if Maya Rudolph had gone missing for the entire movie, and she's the one right. connection that all of these girls have, right. that would have... that Yeah. It's, a really good it's the same plot. 
Um, except she doesn't. Except without Maya Rudolph being trapped on a roof in Vegas. Spoiler, right. by the way. I just ruined Hangover. Sorry. Um, uh, well, here, let me ask you guys this then. Is, and Kelly Wand, you will go first. Kelly Wand, is Bridesmaids a chick flick? Yeah, but it's one we, for all, it's one of the probably only chick flicks ever made that every, I mean, guys were laughing. It was, it was killing when I was there. Like big Frankenstein looking teenage boys were going, <laughs> like stamping their feet like hillbillies at the poo scene. So it's got poo for boys and I don't know. It seems to transcend. They did. They, it was it was marketed as a chick flick for guys, um, but it's deeper than that. It's deeper than a chick flick, Tom. So it is yeah, a chick I love flick, you, man. Mm-hmm. It's a chick flick in the sense that I love you, man, is a bromance. Okay, Dingus, do you do you take any issue with what Kelly Wan has just suggested? It's a bromance for women. <laughs> there. <laughs> All right, a bromance for women. <laughs> Uh, the person That's who just said point. that was Dingus. <laughs> ah. Uh, the, uh, the women sitting next to me expressed surprise that I was there seeing it alone. Oh, so you can meet girls at Bridesmaids. I like. And uh, who? Oh, never mind. So, so Dingus, then would you would you say that it's a, so? Kelly Wan is saying it's a bromance for women. It's a chick flick, but that that dudes can appreciate. Uh, Dingus, how do you feel about this? If someone were to come to you and say, Dingus, this bridesmaid's a chick flick, what would you say? I would say no. All right, I'm with you, Dingus. I because I, I don't I I think the expectation is a chick flick because it's all it's got a, a female cast and it's about female characters. But I don't think I, I think it's pretty much universal. Uh, I, I think it it transcends. And Kelly, Wan, I think you were touching on this. I think we're all in agreement here. I, th- I think it transcends chick flicks. Chick flicks to me mm-hmm. tend to be very formulaic. They have a few sort of agendas they want to get across. Uh, they often have something about a man failing women. Uh, they're, they're kind of ways for women to bond with each other and, and affirm their feminine. I don't, I don't know. I don't, but I, I don't think Bridesmaids was about any of that. It's Bridesmaids just happened to have a female lead. Yeah. Uh, I put it in the same. Yeah. I put it right up there with Super Bad, with I Love You Man, uh, with uh, with Sideways. Uh, I, I think it's right up there with this sort of observational comedy about people's crises, about re- relationship changing, a relationship changing with their friends. Right. And it's not necessarily about romantic relationships. I think chick pl- flicks uh, are generally preoccupied with romantic relationships and a woman struggling with, you know, I need to be in a relationship with a man, whatever. Uh, this didn't. I mean, this this had that as part of what was going on, but it was a, it addressed a much wider issue of of what it's like to when the relationship with your friends change. And and it just so happened that a woman was the lead character. I didn't feel that it was about women's issues. Right. And I loved I it's loved about, that about it, it. It's about specific people. The way Brokeback Mountain was about specific people, as opposed to Crash, where Crash is a chick flick about racism. <laughs> wow, that's you, that's pretty provocative. I'm not sure I understand it, Kelly Wan. Uh, uh, that was provocative. But, uh, <laughs> but um, Rose Byrne is funny in this movie, and she's a villain, mm-hmm. technically. Yep, sure. But my only other complaint about the movie is that Ellie Kemper wasn't in it enough. Uh, she was the meek redheaded one? Uh what, uh, now, what do we know her from, Kelly Wand? What is it? What is Ellie Kemper from? The Office and um, oh, the Ricky Gervais series. I love that show. I don't remember her on that. 
Uh, you know, I don't. Famous people are really boring to me, but I think she's the only one I would stalk. Just between us and the internet. <laughs> uh, all right, because she's adorable, or she's talented, or what? What was? What's her appeal? Actually, I might regret asking this. What is? Yeah. What is her appeal? Okay. <laughs> Look at her freckles. I'll send you a video. Uh, she's very adorable, but I don't remember like she and the blonde woman. Uh, like I liked how they were specific just yeah. character types, but they, none of them, for instance, was featured as prominently as. And I wish I, is it Melissa McCarthy? What's the what's the name of the uh, the fatty? I wasn't gonna say that. I was the the. But she's funny, and, you know. She was great. What was her? What she's was the great. actress's name? Someone help me out here, Dingus. What was that actress? Dingus knows. The girl from Gilmore Girls. Oops, did I say it out loud? Uh-huh. <laughs> Dingus, everybody knows you watch Gilmore Girls. What was the actress's name? Does anyone here know? I just want to say that I never watched Gilmore Girls ever. Okay. There's a lot of hotties in Gilmore Girls. Uh, at any rate, she. I, I, feel, I think it's like Melissa McCarthy. Someone correct me if they know any better. Otherwise, I'm just going to charge ahead saying this is Melissa McCarthy. She was great, and I loved how the movie gave her more attention than it gave someone cute like like Ellie Klempner or the the sort of the sassy cynical world weary blonde chick like they they were much more peripheral I thought they they were fine uh, but I love that Melissa McCarthy yeah. you know what? I'm gonna look and this she up. Was, no oh. it is I just looked it up okay. she's also she was also playing kind of an original too like she wasn't just the funny fat. Like she was, she was the, she was one of the best parts of the movie, as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Well, she was so together. I mean, they weren't, they were making fun of her, and they were making jokes about her, you know, farting and belching and whatnot. But they also then give her, you know, they make her the together. Yeah, right. She gives her the, the, you know, the, the magical, you know, cheer up uh, speech at the end, which was just so, it felt so good and authentic. And uh, and she's doing a lot of funny physical comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was very it's, convincing. It's just such a forceful, uh, impressive, and performance especially you know and i did watch gilmore girls uh way back when and she was such a cute and ebullient character on that and and uh, and actually a chef and it, and watching her in this just do these things it was just uh, there there are a couple of performances in this this her performance and kristen wiggs that i just think are such brave performances i just love what these women are doing now, Dingus, wouldn't you say that Kristen Wiig's performance was also brave in MacGruber? Uh, yeah, I would actually, because <laughs> I just I love I I love the fact, and she's done this in a couple of films, and she did this in Adventureland too, where she just kind of like lets men do what they're going to do. You know, MacGruber dresses. She's like, "Why am I dressed up like you?" You know, he he dresses her up like like him, and and she she has to go along with that goofy husband of hers in Adventureland, and and she just she's so game, and in this she, in, instead of just making herself this all out hero, she makes herself, she allows herself to look weak, she allows herself to look ugly, she allows herself to be be beat up emotionally. I just think it's a really great brave comic performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved her little dance. Totally wanted to marry her. I also loved watching her play tennis. I mean, that tennis was, <laughs> yeah. was another one of those things where, where you think it's going to be this goofy. She can't hit the ball. She's just going to hit it over the fence. But she's—it's so, so like rock and roll tough, like like that riff on like the volleyball scene from Top Gun. Just we're going to knock each other out. 
regardless of what those douchebag children of Helen were saying, I mean, I just loved watching them play tennis, and and that's where they took the scene. It was like, we are just going to kick each other's asses with a tennis ball instead of it being inept women. Yep, yep. Uh... There were two scenes where I was definitely thinking, here I am at a women's movie, though. Okay. Chick flick. One was just being, when they first go into the bridal uh, shop, and mm-hmm. it's all heaven looking. Mm-hmm. Like, you can hear women in the audience going, oh. And I'm thinking, hmm, yeah, it's white. <laughs> and then also at the end, when Wilson Phillips started singing, and I'm like, oh, what's the joke? Oh, they're just going to sing. <laughs> I'm with you there. I, but I, the, the, the great thing about the bridal scene, though, is that I felt the same way, Kelly Wanda. I was like, yeah, this is a chick film. Like, wasn't there some point in, I think it was The Tourist, where the the movie just suddenly starts reveling in Angelina Jolie's, like, gowns and jewelry? I forgot yeah. what it was. But yeah, there, so I felt the same way that once uh, Bridesmaids goes into that dress shop, and I'm like, oh, well... Here we are watching yeah, a yeah, bridal shop scene. But then where it goes, though, the fact that that's where the most scatological, gross, lowbrow humor occurs. Right. I was like, I, oh, that's why you guys went in here. Okay, I'm okay it, with that. It was a hu- it was hugely unexpected to me that there's never um, – they never go to like a Chippendale. Like they never go to like a male strip club, like a bachelor party. Like there's no s- – sex on the table right i just want to say i personally think that that stuff is pretty gross and i I don't most women i don't know maybe they do maybe they don't but that's i think so but you would expect it like this will be right right right. that would be the easy laugh is yeah let's do a chippendales and let's have melissa mccarthy putting a dollar bill in a dude's g-string right Yeah. yeah exactly uh nick the dick instead she falls for air marshal john Right, and again, they get, they get, yeah. I, I, the fact that uh, they actually made him the air, air marshal, I didn't see that coming, and I was yeah, like, I okay, was you, you got me. That was a good one. Good uh, job, movie. <laughs> yeah, very nice. They kept it up forever too. It's like, God, they're really running us into the ground, and then that is the payoff. And then that the reverse payoff is he's he winds up into her. <laughs> so not only is he lying about being an air marshal, but he's right. lying about being attracted to this pushy. <laughs> Nymphomaniac. Well, he couldn't be because he was on duty. I mean, that's I know, perfect I for the character. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean he has to sleep with every woman. No, but he liked her. He didn't need to. He chose to like her. Well, and the movie was very – it's a generous movie in terms of how it's not just centered around one person's performance. And yeah. the Air Marshal guy's a good example. The the poor stewardess dude. I liked that guy, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so he was you. really funny, and he really worked well with Chris. He played it totally straight. Like, that's exactly what he was. Yeah, I loved yeah, that okay. guy. That's enough. <laughs> he, acted, he acted like he wasn't acting. Like, yeah. all right, and thank you. We get your joke. And that's what the humor comes from, too. The, yeah. the, uh, the easy way to do it would have been to put another. And the guy actually was a comic. I don't know if you know this, Dingus, but uh, a lot of these actors are from the Groundlings. So our, our friend Megan knows a lot of them. And I went and saw it with Megan. And afterwards, they were like listing off all the comics from the Groundlings who got parts in the movie. And one of them was that guy who played the stewardess. Uh, so. Uh, the, that stewardess He's guy. A steward. Steward, excuse me, right. But anyway, the easy way to do that, put a comic in there, let him be funny or droll or right. something. That's He's not what this guy did. That wasn't, he said, you were right. He acted just like a steward. Uh, and it, it just, it was funnier because they weren't going for cheap, easy laughs, I thought. Yeah, because she's completely, it's not, oh, she's funny. It, like, there's something tragic about it. Like, she's losing her friend right now. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it, it's kind of a little dark, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then that's the last thing. Like that's the straw that winds up costing her. Yeah. Everything. Um. You know, I I love that word generous because that's a perfect way to put this movie. Uh, it it gives everybody a chance to do something without without feeling like it's being self indulgent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think so much entertainment is about what what's something that we can build around like a star vehicle. Uh, you know, let's let's have like our, our let's have Jim Carrey. He's really funny. And then let's just build stuff around him. And and uh, even though she wrote it, uh, it seemed like bridesmaids did not have to do that with Kristen Wiig. Uh, and yet she she has plenty to do. Um, and Maya Rudolph, I, I certainly could use more of her because I love her. But she uh, was, no, she I, was I, fine. I love her first. Okay. Sorry, she's have. playing a straight man. Like she's so different in this than from how she was in Idiocracy and in MacGruber. Right, right, my right. Movie right. Two thousand ten. <laughs> and 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 playing. the writers have such a great touch with. Uh, well, it's Kristen Wiig. I mean, the, the just the idea of of what Jill Clayburg is doing is this. Ah, uh, yeah. Is doing this yeah. this this uh, sponsor who has never had a drink. I mean, it, a, yeah. a less a less apt writer would have had her be a complete drunk who's also right. just stumbling around and oh yeah, I got a meetings, but I'm totally like Cloris Leachman in Spanglish. Yeah, very that's, good. And Tom. that's the guy who yeah. wrote the Arthur remake too. That's the guy. What Kelly Wand? That's what the Arthur remake. Oh God! Yeah, you know what? Oh, geez, oh. yeah. Ooh, good point. <laughs> Here's your chick flick, or just the explanation of a joke. That's ah. Oh. Very good. Kelly Wan, did you end up seeing Arthur? Because I know you're a big Russell Brandt fan. No, but I saw a scene of Sex in the City 2 on cable. That's a chick flick, Kelly Wand. I don't know if you know this. Where they're in Afghanistan, and no. one <laughs> spills rubbers out of her purse, and then all the men in cheeks are going, blah, 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 around her, and she's like, <laughs> yeah, and she has a tant, and then she goes into a secret alcove, and then all the women like take their... Uh, Burke is off and goes, see, yeah, we're actually one of you. And they're all reading like Oprah Winfrey's biography. Wow, we got a little bit of a, a Sex in the City 2 synopsis as an added treat on this week's podcast. That was very good, Kelly Wand. <laughs> That's the most I ever thought I'd say about that. Uh, very good. Now, Kelly Wand. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? What uh, did you feel that Bridesmaids had in common with Meek's Cutoff? Oh, um, the Rucker Hauer factor was strong. How would you sing over Britney Spears like that? What's the matter with you? We've heard it. I can cover her. Uh. Get it? Get the yoke. Ah, <laughs> uh, are we done? Did we talk about it? I mean, that seems kind of short, but what else are you going to say except see it? Uh, That's what she said. Yeah, no, we are all three. Uh, mm, that doesn't work. We are all three uh, Bridesmaids fans here. Uh, I'm unembarrassed of my liking it. So the thing is, Kelly, one, I think you and I uh, knew we, I, you and I were the ones who were real enthusiastic to see it. I think we knew I, I didn't. Th- it was way better than I thought it would be. I'll say, though. Yeah, because everyone told me Wedding Crashers was funny. And when I saw it, I was like, what are people talking about? There's no like set pieces at all. So, by the way, how did Bridesmaids fare against that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, Pirates cleaned up. I'm really annoyed. Oh, are you serious? No yeah. way. Well, happy Tim Powers, but. 
I don't know him. He wrote the... Never mind. (laughs) Uh, So Bridesmaids, though, I think will have legs. That's my prediction. I hope. Fingers crossed. Well, this this is its second week, though. That's not fair. What do you mean? It opened last week, yeah. didn't it? It what came in second time? to Thor last week. It's been out a week. He's saying opening weekend should be. Yeah, it's not. It's not fair to compare to pair pirates against bridesmaids. It's bridesmaids, bridesmaids second week. It's bridesmaids and second week. And it was week. packed in the Pot middle of rips. the day on Saturday for me. Well, I'm just saying. I think it'll have legs. I would have rather that it had gotten a number one weekend. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, just saying, it deserves it. Way it more comes than... out against. It's coming out against superhero stuff like that's. It had, was loaded against it. See, because sexism in Hollywood. But it's it's making a ton of money. Everyone's happy. There'll be a million more. I, I hope it does well because I want Kristen Wiig and and Annie Mumola to write more stuff. It's such. They're it's really so really good writing. writers. Yeah, I agree. But everyone knows it. It's it's a beloved film. <laughs> All right, let's do a three by three then. Since we all agree on uh, Bridesmaids, not much else to say. Dingus, what are we doing a 3x3 three three on this week? All right, this week we're doing our three favorite vocal performances, and at least one of them cannot be animated. It has to be a live-action performance. Vocal performances. So you mean like singing? Uh, yes, I'm talking about singing, so we're talking about musicals. Um, mainly musicals, but you can also do lip-syncing. So okay, you're lying. You can include American Idol stuff. <laughs> what did Tom uh, say? A lion? No, I said he's lying. Lion King, Lion King, you're right, Tom. Lion King could be part. And a lion is an animated. Liam Neeson is the father in Lion King. That's my number one. Well done, well done. Tom hated this topic. I can hear his seething. No, okay, I didn't hate the topic. I think it's a good topic. I think Dingus failed at presenting it. (laughs) (laughs) Here was my problem thinking them up. Interesting. There's a, there's a couple ways to look at this, and I didn't need to resort to any cartoons. Who needs animation for this? Cartoons, yeah. whatever. However, there is, uh, and I end up going, I think, the wrong way with this, but there there are some performances performances that consist entirely of vocals, and I'll, we can mention a few of those in the runners-up. That's not what I did. Instead, there are some performances that have a really unique or cool or different vocal aspect. And that's what I ended up picking. So I've got three performances that I think are great all around. And one of my favorite things about them is the vocal quality of them, is how the actor uses his or her voice. Uh, so there you go. So the only, I'm just griefing you a little bit, Dingus, in that I think it might have been more interesting to talk about performances that consisted only of somebody's voice. And I don't want to say what I'm thinking of, because some of you guys might, you might have picked that. Uh... And we'll, we'll save that for the runners-up. Uh, so anyway, as far as vocal performances, like a, a performance whose vocal quality I admire, I don't know if that's screwing up your expectation, Dingus, but that's how I ended up going with this. My number three is Kate Blanchett and Hannah for the way that I, I know some people have come out of Hannah and have said something like, Kate Blanchett was awful. She couldn't even keep a consistent accent in that movie. Uh, which is true, but not because she's awful, but because it was a very definite character choice about who Kate Blanchett's character is. She's someone who uh, has sacrificed her identity for her job. Uh, she's a CIA agent. She's got a shadowy background. She's German. Uh, but at various times, different times in the movie, depending on to whom she's speaking, her accent is all over the map. Sometimes she'll have a southern accent. Sometimes it's very straightforward American. Sometimes there's a little bit of the German quality to it uh and Kate Blanchett the actress is perfectly capable of maintaining a consistent accent throughout a movie so it's not a failing it's a definite character choice and it says a lot about who she is 
uh, and, and the fact that she puts on different identities for different situations. So there's my number three, Kate Blanchett and Hannah. She's not comfortable in her own skin. Exactly. Uh, well, you know what? She's not – I don't think it's – it's because it's not like discomfort. When you say not comfortable in, in her own skin, I, you know, I think of Andrew Garfield in Boyer, for instance. That's a performance of a guy who's not comfortable in his own skin. She doesn't have a skin. She has to put one on depending on the situation. So it's not so much that she's not comfortable because she's very competent at what she does. It's just that there's no real core identity there. Uh, she doesn't have a skin to put on to, to live in, so she has to always – put one on at different times. Um, That's what I meant. Yeah, I'll go with that. So, all right. So Dingus, does that... Uh, well, well, when we get around to Dingus, I'll be curious what his approach was to, to his three. Uh, but first, Kelly Wand, what is your number three choice? Uh, my number three is Michael Winslow and Police Academy. Don't know who that is. Is he the guy who does all the funny noises? Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty sound. That's my number three. Funny noises? Oh, oh that's, like, you know, he, he's the, the huge, uh, I, I don't remember what ethnicity is, he but he's would, the uh, huge guy who does all the pow, 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 pow. I'm going to make noises with not, my face. Wait, would you call him huge? He's a big guy. He's tall. Oh, that's Bubba Smith. Oh, Michael my mistake. Winslow is also black, you racist, but not he. I didn't realize he was black. Who are you talking about? <sighs> is he the guy who does the radar noises in Spaceballs? Yeah. See, he's a multi, he's a triple threat. He's in Spaceballs doing noises and three Police Academy movies. I think four. But, see, his thing was he could make gun noises and the criminals would think they were surrounded because it but it was really just him and his saliva surrounding them. So is is he like a comic and that's his shtick? Is like doing noises? Yeah, that's okay. his only shtick. If he doesn't do anything except noises, and you go, ah, it sounds just like a submarine. And then what? And what, what are you going to do now? And then he does like a tank. Is he a stand-up com- comic though? Is that his background? Do you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he made that up. All right. Well, I assume. I mean, I'm assuming he's not a fucking geologist. You never know. Tom Clancy okay. sold insurance. Did he at the same time? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That he explains his... a lot about his style, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell I said that. But I think he quit his day job, so. Uh... so uh, Michael Winslow. What's the last thing you saw Michael Winslow in? Um, Mannequin Two on the Move. Did he do noises in that? All right. He also did the voice for Darth Vader. I know. I, know mm, I don't think that's true. I know, uh, but he's not huge. I don't know where you're getting, where Dingus is getting huge. It's really offensive. Kelly Wan, Dingus is five foot three. So to most people, uh, to, to Dingus, most people are huge. Is what? I don't know if you know that about Dingus. He's five foot three. He's he's a little sensitive about it. On his back, gotcha. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is now? What do you think, Dingus, of what approaches Kelly Wan and I have both taken for your topic so far? Are we in the right ballpark? Uh, sure. I I kind of object to you being so dismissive of um, uh, animated uh, vocal performances. 
Well, it just seems more. It seems specific, and it seems related to. Well, you were the one that's. You're the one that restricted how many we could use. I mean, there's some great animated yeah. vocal performances, but if you felt now he wants just, more of them. <laughs> yeah, like if you felt the need to rule them out, I I think that's a totally different. You don't think have one, but you can. You have to have one. Now there's. Uh, new- I. That's not what I said. What I said was one of them cannot be. Right. An animated performance. So that makes us think, oh, well, we, he doesn't want that. So no, no, I just I wanted to restrict myself, but I don't see why you guys are being dismissive because at least two of mine are. Well, I guess at most two of mine are. Okay. Uh, and and that was one of the reasons why I chose this because of how I felt about that, but but also because of something else I heard an actor talking about in creating his vocal performance. So um, well, so. Why- why couldn't we have done three of them then? I mean, why did you want to? Yeah, Mr. Police State. <laughs> because that was yeah. the that was the rule. That you know, that's what I put on point. it that that's that at least point. at least one of it's them isn't going to be voice. animated. So we're not just doing our favorite little animated voices. I wanted you guys you to think about vocal. I wanted you guys to think about vocal performances as something else, and uh, that doesn't mean you should be dismissive of animation, which is what I think. Uh, Tom sort of started to do, and I was, was a little I bit curious about that, that. How was I dismissive of animation? I was not at all. I just said for my own, I was thinking there's some great examples. And for instance, you know what? I'm going to roll one out because I don't think anyone's going to pick this. I love what Mercedes McCambridge did for The Exorcist. I think it's a fantastic vocal performance. She, the woman was a was a radio actress, uh, and apparently Friedkin originally wanted to do the movie with uh, uh, Linda. Uh, not Linda McCart- Linda Blair, with Linda Blair's voice, like electronically altered, uh, that didn't work. So he brought in this 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 famous radio actress to do the voice of the, the demon stuff, and I love what that does. But it sort of feels like that's a, a kind of a separate category from something like Kate Blanchett doing the great accent work in Hannah, uh, okay, where it's just the voice. So I took off the table, and there's one specifically I want to mention, but I think. Kelly Wan might pick it, yeah. where it's just the person's voice. It's, it's huge. It's iconic. But I took that off the table for me personally. I wasn't even talking about animated stuff. Um, he was talking about animated stuff. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, uh, so for me, I ended up just going ahead and sticking with performances, overall performances, like live action performances, where I really appreciated the vocal dimension to the performance. Uh, Okay, my mistake. I thought at the beginning of this, you pretty much dismissed animated vocal performances. He's about to dismiss my number one. My, my mistake. So. That was my mistake. Okay, uh, but I don't. I mean, uh, yeah. And I'll, even for runners up, I've got something that's animated. I want to mention. I just personally decided to just go with overall performances, and here's the vocal aspect of it that I liked. So. All right, cool. I like what you did with Hannah. I think that's a really good uh, a good example of it, especially um, because I think it's important to. Uh, point out that this is a definitive choice that she's making, and that I think a lot of people miss that. Right. Right. I hate you. <laughs> Which one? I don't know. I was talking <laughs> myself, actually. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, Digus, what is your number three then? Now that we know that two of yours are, are cartoons. All right. Is my first Yogi Bear. I want to just ask: Is Yogi Bear one of them? And uh, was separate bear. <laughs> just. Aww. Justin Timberlake in Yogi Bear. Good things come in bears. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number three is um, the performance is Donna Murphy as Mother Gothel. Uh, 
And uh, this is one of my favorite performances from last year that would never have been nominated for anything. And uh, and Donna Murphy, the the performance is in the movie Tangled, which I've mentioned a few times in this podcast. Um, and one of the things I really loved about the film Tangled, which was, uh, I think at the end of the year, the film that I said was my most surprising film from last year. And I, and I just watched it again. And it's really, it's just a really good animated film. Uh, I don't think either of you guys will like it and that's all right. Um, but it's really good. <laughs> uh, one of the things I loved about Tangled is that you don't sit there the whole time going, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? As you watch it. And that's something that really annoys me when I'm watching an animated film, having to try to guess, uh, you know, and I went to see the, the film Rio because my wife wanted me, wanted to take our son to see that. And there's few G films that you can take a kid to see nowadays. Um, and the whole time I'm just hearing these voices. I know, I know that voice. Oh, that's right. That's Jesse Eisenberg. Okay. Uh, you know, who's that? Oh, that's whoever. And you're just spending the, your time there sitting there listening to characters talk and wondering who's that, who's that, who's that. And entangled, I, I didn't do that because I didn't know any of these characters. Uh, I've seen Donna Murphy in a number of things. She, she was in the fountain. Uh, she was in Spider-Man two. She was, uh, um, Doc Ock's wife. Um, but her performance is is so great in this. Uh, the, the the vocal performances are really good in this movie overall. Uh, but her performance as the bad guy in this movie, um, spoiler alert, she's uh, she's equally evil. She's um, she's needy. She's sarcastic. She just gets all these things, and she also has a great uh, performance as a singer in the movie. But what I really like is the way she conveys this evil character who is also needy. And uh, I, it's just one of my favorite vocal performances from last year. Uh, I understand there's a great use of the skillet as a weapon in Tangled. Mm, I, don't, I think you're thinking of a video game about zombies, Tom. <laughs> that was one of your three by threes, I remember. You love Tangled. All right. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, have you seen Guy, have you seen Tangled, Kelly Wand? Uh, does the carpet match the drapes? Uh, it's in my Netflix queue, Dingus. I expect I will have seen Tangled probably sometime in the year 2013. It's, it's slowly working its way up. <laughs> you can let it take its time. Okay. I'll loan you my... Wait, uh... Okay. <laughs> I, so, is her hair cursed, or, um... You know, like, there's was one... Was that long before... Okay, there's yeah. one way to find this out, Kelly Wan. You <laughs> can actually see the movie. No, I just want to read the story. It's like... All right. It's pages, right? By the way, let's let's take a brief break to uh, do errata from previous podcasts. I think a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, oh, it was our Thor podcast. Uh, in talking about Kat Dennings, I said something about she was in a movie called Paper Man with Jeff Daniels and Ryan Reynolds as a superhero, and she was really good in it. And I later realized that was Emma Stone. I know. I feel. I feel really bad because I have, and I partly feel bad because I have since seen a movie with Kat Dennings where I think I don't like her anymore. What? I know. It's really weird. I feel bad about this, but there's well, a movie. Did, it did seem weird that you said she was in that and Defendor at the time. How do you get anybody mixed up with Emma Stone? You're weird. You're talking about. You're Except kind of young an... Lindsay Lohan. Emma Stone is great. So Kat Denning, I just just, going through my Netflix queue, I watched something called Daydream Nation, which is is terrible. You're already laughing at the title. It's terrible. It's awful. And Kat Denning is so grating in it. She's just she's terrible. She's annoying. She's 
I may not like her anymore. So I feel bad that I confused Emma Stone, who's hasn't gotten grating or annoying yet, uh, with with Kat Dennings. How could she? Look at her. I, I, Easy A is coming up on my Sneller. Netflix. Whatever I was eyeballing it. I don't even know what that movie is. I just know it's, that Emma Stone on the cover. I'm like, okay, let's let's. It's go. the Scarlet Letter, but with high school kids. So it's like Bugsy Malone. Okay, that's uh, it's way more than I want to. Cause now I don't even want to see it. That sounds awful. I right. know. <laughs> well, my point is, you don't shouldn't care what it's. Uh, in Daydream Nation, Cat Dennings uh, kills a serial killer by accidentally hitting him with her car at the end of the movie. It's a heartwarming oh, tale about a small community. And uh, at the very end, that's the resolution. There's a serial killer stalking the community, and she accidentally hits him with her car and, and kills it him. It sounds like Jaws the Revenge. Close, yeah. It does have Josh Lucas in it, though, as this really despicable uh, uh, high school teacher who who dyes his hair blonde to impress a girl, and he looks silly. It's a great comic Josh Lucas performance. Uh, isn't he G. Panson? And didn't what? Didn't you dye your hair blonde for the Paul Walker convention? <laughs> <laughs> Every year, you know it. Mm. All right, let's go into our three by three. Oh, do you guys have any oh, yeah. uh, any mistakes? Errata? <laughs> yeah, any errata for uh, this section of the podcast? Yeah. Uh, that one time when I said that Obi Wan's gesture from Star Wars was a vocal performance. <laughs> okay. I was an idiot. I was really stoned then. I'm sorry. Dingus, uh, anything from you, or have you have you gotten everything correct? You probably uh, have. I've gotten a lot of stuff wrong, but I don't have anything erotic to talk about right now. <laughs> okay. uh, my number two, uh, favorite vocal performance. Um, so I haven't done a lot of voiceover work, uh, but I have been called in on occasion to do, uh, I guess it's technically called ADR. It's like where you're, you're in something and they need to re-record your voice for whatever reason. So they call you in separately and you sit in front of a big uh, screen and they're playing the stuff that they shot with you, and they want you to match the line as you're saying it on screen. And it's really nerve-wracking <laughs> because you have to get the timing right. And, uh, it, you know, I'm sure people who are in film a lot have to do this. I, it's not, not something I ever got used to doing. So once I had to do it for something, and I thought I was doing fine. I was so worried about the timing. At one point, one of the guys was like, you know what, hold on. we got to take a break. I'm getting too much mouth noise. Mm. <laughs> I was like, on that day. <laughs> but I really felt ew, gross. What is that? And yeah. and it's just something that during a vocal, it's like when lips smack or when your tongue is making things. It's like, like whatever, if you got cotton mouth. So I just, I don't know, drank some water and I eventually got through it or whatever. But this is a performance that is built almost entirely around mouth noise. <laughs> and it works because the character is scarred and the the idea i think is that the mouth noise which is such a consistent part of the performance you get the sense that it comes from him having to deal with these scars and it's it's heath ledger's joker uh in dark mm. knight the way that when he talks he's doing this weird like lip smacking and his tongue's always kind of doing weird little things uh, and he's got his pinched voice uh and it just goes so well with the character i mean we think of the joker as either a Jack Nicholson sort of screwed it up, but Mark Hamill does a lot of voice work for video games, and the Joker is this shrill, uh, you know, he laughs a lot, I guess. That's what makes him the Joker. Uh, but Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker was just, like, so weird and had such an odd, distinctive speech pattern uh, that that's my number two pick for, for a vocal, <coughs> excuse me, for a vocal performance. That's my number two. Is it really? Or are you copying off? Yeah. 
All right. I was gonna scoop you. I didn't think you'd think of it. Well, you should have put this your number three and saved Michael Winslow because you knew I wouldn't be picking Michael Winslow. He he said he spent a lot, like weeks figuring that voice out. He put something in his mouth. What was it walnuts or something? Oh no, kidding! Really? Yeah. And then he called Nolan and went, hey, yeah, I figured out something on the voice. Like, he really, like, he spent, that was, like, the major part of his thing. It's like, and it didn't sound like any character he'd ever played before. It was, like, hard to tell where the Joker was from. Well, or any character before. Like, yeah, like, I don't know what he was drawing from for, for that. Where, yeah. what's the what's the precedent to doing a character like that? I don't know. The only I almost took it off because I thought there's a lot of body language he uses, too. And then I thought maybe that makes it it shouldn't be on the list for that. Like, it's all there's just so much. He's doing a lot of things that aren't vocal, too. Sure, sure. But whenever I when I think vocal performances, that's like one of the first ones I think of. So. Kelly, one, can you do an impression of Heath Ledger uh, as the Joker? Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> huh. Remember? That one part where he's talking. I like. I really like that because of of the um, the obstacle he sets for himself of having to justify basically those scars you're talking about. I mean, and the the comic version of that would be Peter Sellers, you know, stuffing cotton in his mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I really like this as the more. I don't know if you can call a comic book movie more realistic, but the more. The more realistic version of of ha- the more having to physically deal with what you're talking about. So that's a great idea. Right. right. He sounds kind of world weary too, which is interesting. It's an interesting choice for a character that we we haven't seen before, that no one's ever seen, no one's ever heard of him, no one knows who the fuck this dude is. But he sounds like, yeah, it's just Thursday for me. Well, there's something, I mean, you say world-weary, and that's certainly part of it, but it almost sounds like a, I don't want to say a god, but there's something very sort of Dionysian, like he's this force of, of nature, uh, like he, he's not even really a person, there's there's something that sort of transcends just being a regular person, and that's kind of, in a way, the point of this silly comic book stuff with superheroes and, and with villains, is they're more than normal people. And Heath Ledger definitely gets that with the Joker. And by the he's way, a- it's it's such an interesting contrast to poor Christian Bale trying to do his voice yeah, thing. I know. Uh, <laughs> Australians. <laughs> he's also um, unflappable. Like, he never... He never has the drop. Has the, Like, even when Christian Bale... When he gets hurt by Christian Bale, like, the shock... When he tries to touch his mask or something, it just makes him laugh. Like if he just hurts himself, it's funny to him. Well, as you've pointed out, Kelly Wan, I mean, part of the brilliance of the Dark Knight is it's the the people saving themselves. You know, it's not necessarily yeah. Batman doesn't really figure that prominently into it. Right. Uh, he's he does not end up foiling the Joker. It ends no, up being the, the people that foil the Joker. Yeah. So. But it may he that so makes him such a great villain. Like he never really quite get beat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do take two on that, Kelly. One. I was getting some mouth noise there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was that when you were dubbing the Godzilla movie? I was not in Godzilla. Uh, unfortunately, oh. I, don't, I don't get any uh, residuals from that. What part would I have played in the Godzilla movie? Uh, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> uh, I did. Okay, true story. I did do a small student film with a guy who did motion capture for... <laughs> For Godzilla. What do you think of that? Wait, what? 
Too uh, many words. Too many words in that sentence. Well, I was going to say mocap, and then decided <laughs> yeah. that was too. That like, was dark. really awkward. How you your mouth noise on that <laughs> oh, one <was> weird. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up halfway through saying mocap, deciding to go ahead and say the whole thing, and it kind of threw me off. I'm I'm afraid. Uh, mocap sounds racist. Mocap sounds like a superhero. Yeah, let's play him. <laughs> See your favorite DC Universe NPC. That's what I named my character in DC Universe, MoCat. Does Aquaman sell hats on the moon? Hey, Paul, did you know that this... Oh, I screwed up the line. Dead from it. <laughs> uh, did you know the Flash can speed talk, Paul? That's what I meant to say, and it kind of blows the line if I said, hey, Paul. Hey, hey Paul, where are you going to go from there? <laughs> I, I like it better your way. <laughs> a firm. Uh, Dingus, give us your number two favorite vocal performance. I'm guessing there's a 50% chance that it's animated. Uh, there is. Wouldn't that be 30? Oh, wait, of what's left. Yeah, see, see how I did my math there? Uh, 20,001. Okay, whether or not it's animated will have to be decided by you guys. Um, uh, Tom. He's have... going to do Avatar, isn't he? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Dingus, what? Tom, do you have Yakety Sax queued up? Uh, wow, you so I do, but this, does that mean you're going to do Nervous. something from Clash of the Titans? Oh, God. What? No. Yeah. Sax is the soundtrack to Clash of the Titans, as everyone knows. But yes, I do. I'm ready. Let me know. Uh, when lately, you... lately, Yakety Sax is synonymous with mentioning Star Wars. La, 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 la. <laughs> right, go ahead. Tell us about Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Yoda, I don't know where they got the actor to play Yoda, but that guy, he looks green. I don't know how they, how they do that. How did they get a guy to look green like that? I don't understand it. I can't believe this is happening right now. <laughs> it is. Believe it. Uh, all right. Um, this is uh, actually not Yoda, but it is from the prequels. Now, oh. what, what would I choose from the prequels? What do you think? Watto. Grifio. Watto. Uh, the announcers, Padres, both of them. Absolutely not. Uh, oh, I know what you're doing. I, I totally know what you're doing. I actually like this, Dingus. What do you think? I think you're talking about how Ewan McGregor is doing an imitation of Alec Guinness. That's absolutely what I'm talking about. And um, this is one of the things that made me go ahead. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd had this uh, topic on deck for a while. And um, I'd also had the... Uh, there's there's a NPR show called Fresh Air uh, that I uh, that I like to listen to from time to time. It's a great interview show, but from time to time they'll do movies or or things about movies that I haven't seen yet. So I'll just put those in the bank. And one of the one of the Fresh Air episodes was with Ewan McGregor, and it was him doing uh, Ghost Rider. And I. Um, I didn't get to see that when the show came up. So I'm I sorry, I can't hear. I can't hear you say that without thinking of the Nicolas Cage movie, and I hope other people don't yeah. think that as well. So I was getting some mouth noise. Could you enunciate better? I really tried to enunciate it, but there's no way to do it without thinking of that flaming head douchebag. He can't speed talk, Paul. <laughs> Paul, he can't what? Uh, so ghost, right, her. Uh, and, and I had had that on my iPod for a long time. And, and just recently when I went traveling, I found it and finally listened to it. And, um, cause I, I saw, I got to see ghost, right? 
her at the end of last year. So I only just re- listened to it within the last few weeks. And um, at one point, the interviewer, it's not Terry Gross this time. It's uh, I think it's Dave Davies, another of the guys who does the interviews. Um, they talk about Ghost Rider, They talk about train spotting. And they get around to talking about the prequels. And um, eventually, he, he asks him about the voice work, which is really cool. And Ewan McGregor talks about how he felt like that was his job. His job was taking this iconic vocal performance and putting it into the body of a younger man and that he really, really worked hard on this. And, you know, he had some misgivings about being in the prequels because uh, his uncle had been in, I think his uncle had been Wedge maybe in the original movie. Um, and his, his uncle had said, don't do those. They'll take over your life. Just don't. Um, and, uh, and you and McGregor felt like, well, you know, I want to do it anyway. And, and a lot of it, he, he, he said, you know, it's, it's a lot of technical work standing in front of green screens and doing all this stuff. But one of the, the main things he did was try to try to get the voice, uh, not just do an impression of Alec Guinness, but, but take what Alec Guinness was doing and, and imagine it into the body of a younger man or the younger Jedi character. And, and, um, one of the things I remember from first seeing the movie was how he nailed that, how he he brought what Alec Guinness was doing into that context of that movie. And I really love how he did that. And so this week I tried to watch uh, <laughs> Phantom Menace. Again. How'd that work out for you, Dingus? Oh, good God. Have you guys watched that lately? No, why would we? Because you want to try it. I, I, it's so unremittingly horrible. It, uh-huh. Oh, my God. I can't. What, what year is this again? I <laughs> can't believe how bad it is. It is so just incompetently bad. But, but you know, as much as, I, as we hate to bring up Star Wars on these podcasts, uh-huh. I have to give credit to this particular actor, Ewan McGregor, for, for doing this particular work, because I think he did great work in trying to do this. The movie is horrid. It's even worse than I remember it. I mean, I can't, I couldn't suffer through 20 minutes of it. It's so bad. I can't believe how bad it is. I'm sorry. Uh, but, but he's really, really good. And, and one of the great things about the, uh, the interview that I mentioned is that, that they mention, they, they play a soundbite from later on when he's talking to, to Anakin, which is horrible to hear until you hear him talking to Anakin. You hear him saying, I- I've trained you since you were a small boy. I taught you everything I know. And, uh, and just hearing him do those, hearing him do it, he, he gets the voice. I mean, the way he says poor is exactly the way Alec Guinness would have said the word poor. And, and so I just really like that vocal performance. I like that he, I like what he was shooting for in what ultimately turned out to be a, a horribly terrible, incompetent betrayal of a movie. Can you give us a line from the movie, Dingus? What movie are you talking about? You, the one you just tried to watch. Come on. Which one did he watch? Uh, okay. Um, I don't want to, I know, I'm not going to do an impression of him. That would ruin the category. No. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, my number one is actually an actor doing an impression of another person who isn't really an actor. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing where the, the actor – however, unlike yours, Dingus, mine was in a good movie. Ooh, oh, ah. See? See the little twist I used? Good. I like uh, doing – 
Uh, I don't know if I can give you a line. I uh, our fr- so, Dingus, our friend Troy does does these great. I, I I could either listen to the original actor do the vocal performance. I also love listening to our friend Troy do impressions of it. Uh, and the thing is, I'm not familiar with the person behind the performance who the actor is imitating. So. I know of him. I certainly know some of his, his writing, but I've never really seen him speak. And and the person in question is Hunter S. Thompson. And the vocal performance is Johnny Depp doing his Hunter S. Thompson impression in Terry Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, it's such an outrageous vocal choice. And I think if maybe you were to just see a clip of it, you would be that that's not going to work. But by the time you're you're all the way through Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it, it just feels so sort of natural and normal to how crazy these characters are. Uh and I just I and there's even this weird vulnerability to him at the end. Uh, so I love the insight into Hunter S. Thompson that, that Johnny Depp's performance gives and specifically the way he does his voice. And you know what? I don't know. Does Hunter S. Thompson really talk like that? Yeah, it's spot on because my, my only uh, the only thing I knew of Hunter S. Thompson before this, as far as like what the guy actually might have spoken like, was Bill Murray doing him in Where the Buffalo Roam. And I don't think Bill Murray is even bothering to do it in Im- no. an imitation. Yeah, it's just Bill Murray being Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray doesn't really have – he can only do the one voice. Right, right. right. The, well, he can do his normal voice and he can do the Caddyshack guy. And they're right. both sort of variations. So different. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Salma Hayek, but – that's right. a good analogy. That works, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. So that's my number one, partly just because I, I so love that movie. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's, that's, a great, that's a great choice. Thank you. Did I, did I scoop your number one, Kelly Wand, like I scooped your number two? You know what my number one is. Is it really? Say it. I, I'm guessing you t- – is, is the actor's name Douglas Rain? Yeah. That's such that's a good cool. one. That's such a good one, though. Well – You'd put it on your list because you hate the whole movie. Well, not because – I mean just because I really thought that that uh, – I, I, I kind of – that's what I was giving Dingus a hard time about before is I think it would have been cool if he'd forced us to just do things like like where it's only the voice as the performance. Um, so I kind of feel like I took the easy way out just because I wanted to bring up things that I really liked instead. Um, but well, I left it broad – what do you mean, only the voice of the performance? So, d- Kelly, one, do your number one, and I think that'll. Explain. My number well, one. I know is... who he's talking about. I just don't understand what so, you're so saying. So, Douglas Rain appears as as Hal only in his voice. You never see Douglas Rain. Right. You only see a red light. It's 2010. Right, right, right. There you go. But the only aspect from that in the prequel to 2010. You know, a lot of people don't like the prequel, but there's the prequel to 2010. So, the only thing you know of Douglas' voice, and it's the same as I was mentioning with Mercedes McCambridge, is it's only their voice appears in the performance. Now, that works with your Tangled thing, Dingus, and I'm guessing your number one, which, because you said you have two animated, is similar. Um, but that, I would have felt that would have been more of a challenge. Uh, although, you know, I would have just been doing a lot of animated. There's a lot of animated stuff you can draw from. Um, but that's but not also, that's not the same thing though because uh, I understand what you're saying but there's other things that are elements of of making a performance work in an animated film that aren't going on in what Kelly chose as number one I mean this is purely right. just voice and a flashing light right. uh, and the, the things that that you are suggesting are a part of that are not what do you I mean, mean the I'm suggesting are a part of that or not what do you mean by that no I mean I mean at other animated performances are not the same thing as as what you're suggesting as voice only. I mean, Hal is singular in that 
it is just a flashing light and just a vocal performance. Well, whereas whereas uh, an actor is supporting an animator's performance. Or, I mean, I, Hal is just wow. one example. I mean, what about Mercedes McCambridge, where you, her performance is also partly the, the makeup that's on Linda Blair? Or, right. Right. Uh, or, exactly. or Kevin, uh, 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 for Pete's sake, uh, Gertie in, in Moon. That, Kevin. That, that's a good, yeah, Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Dennings. Um, that's, a, that's another, that's kind of a good, uh, a good equivalence, but, but the, the vo- the voice of the actor is is being supported by a lot of other different elements that aren't in Kelly's choice. I mean that that is almost a purely vocal performance. Right, right. Oh, and but that's I'm, what I'm. He, go ahead, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, well, this is your this, number one. Get in here. You you're also part of it is uh, seeing other actors like Herodulia reacting to him. Yeah. And like their their reactions and they're kind of like bored and yeah, talking to computers. <laughs> I mean that it's all it's all it's all integrated. Okay, one. Why did you pick this as your number one? What what's what's special? Because I can't imagine that movie without it. I can't imagine anyone else playing how. I can't. I. It's so. Um, it's the only time where I felt like it's a human voice playing a non-human role where it's actually convincing. Like in we, when you watch Wally and Eva goes Wally. Wow, you hate it. You said that was such <laughs> with such sort of snide dismissal. Oh, wow. I like Wally, well, but I'm not Eva. <laughs> Eva's fine, but I mean, she did try to blow him up on first. It's, geez, it's I've been on that date. Yeah, I know. <laughs> She's not a blowjobber. Whoa, whoa, whoa! By the way, Kevin Spacey, you jerks. Thanks for helping me, and I couldn't think of somebody's last name. I'm not helping either of you next time you can't think of someone's last name. I thought name. you were joking that you couldn't think of it. No, yeah. I couldn't think of Kevin Spacey, for Pete's sake. All right. Are you high? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm baked. <laughs> Listen to how Tom says it. He denunciates it. Paul. Yeah, he's not going to fall for the banana and the tailpipe. <laughs> I'm um, on the pot. I, I'm baked. I take the pot. Um, but that's also that's so iconic. Like, how is that that's... And just listening to that that guy, the way that he does, like the lack of emotion, how, yeah. how insidious that sounds, is such. Like, what what is what do you know about this guy, Kelly Wan, Douglas Rain, the fellow who did the voice? Like, is he, he he's a stage actor, right? Yeah, I think yeah. he's British. And he's Canadian, actually. Has he been in any movies? Ah, uh, see, Canadian. See, you were telling me when I <laughs> praised Canadians. Yes, he's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um. He was in uh, Oedipus Rex. He was in Henry V. He was in Sleeper. He was in Sleeper. Interesting. So we have seen his face in a movie then. Yeah. Or we, or we could if we really cared. No, in Sleeper, but I, I, didn't he do the the computer oh, or something? No. So Woody Allen just got him to do to sort of riff on how. He did robots or something in Sleeper. All right. But still, that counts. He was also in Twelfth Night on TV in 1964. <laughs> Kelly Wand can read IMDb. Well done, Kelly Wand. No, I'm reading Wikipedia. Hello. <laughs> but he was, if he's born in 1928, and that's 68, so he's 40. So Hal's a 40-year-old Canadian man. Mm. And he's still alive. We could go see him. 
and ask him how how it feels. I wonder if he's sick of being asked about Hal. Do the voice. Say open the pod bay door. Oh, no, actually, what would Hal say? Hal never says open the pod bay door. <laughs> open the wonder- pod bay doors, me. <laughs> I wonder if people come up to him, if he gets sick of people coming up to him saying open the pod bay doors. No, I want him to say, what are you doing, Kelly? <laughs> exactly, yes. I want, I want that. There's you. There's you. There's your ADR. See, imagine how easy his ADR was. He only had to sync up with the red light on camera. You know, I, I wish, freaking Kubrick, man, I wished he'd done, like, director's commentaries. I would have loved to have heard things about, like... Douglas Rain. Douglas Rain, yeah. And how did you, you know, how do you get that voice right? Uh, you know, what what do you do? Because obviously, I, I, Kubrick is meticulous about details and getting things right. You know, what, what, what were those recording sessions like? Uh, yeah. Was he a diva? I don't want strawberries. <laughs> this isn't working for me, Stan. Stanley, is he still doing, is he Stanley? still working now? I don't know, Dingus. Kelly, one, you're good. I don't have access to that information. I'm sorry. Wow, Kelly, one, you're freaking me out. That's awesome. Mm. That's you know what, Dingus? That's way better hard than any Kelly. voice. You've done Kelly, access IMDb, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly, access I'm, IMDb. I can't do that right now, Dingus. Kelly. I'm too high. <laughs> what were those monkeys doing earlier? All right, so Kelly Wan's number one, Hal in... Uh, Douglas Rain. As Hal in 2010, and the prequel. Oh. I don't know why you guys are so against good movies. Don't say you guys. I'm no, I have no problem with 2001. In one, yes, you not Dingus's problem. Dingus is like, eh, I'm not going to watch that. Dingus yeah. decided. Dingus spent this week watching Phantom Menace instead of 2001. Yeah, and hated MacGruber. And what hated MacGruber, right? Strike uh, two. All right, so he also wait. Remember when Dingus was saying um, he thought Moby Dick sucked because it didn't have. He kept. He didn't like the tangents about the whale skeletons, and we were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stick to the story. We'll, we'll bring that up on the book podcast. Dingus is silent. All right, Dingus, what is your number one? This is your topic. What is your number one choice for favorite vocal performances? What do you got for us? I've got a quote for you. Awesome. If what I think is happening is happening. If ah, good one. Wait, I let him finish it because I don't know it yet. Go ahead. If what you think is happening is happening. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. Good one. What? Tom's, you're Moon. dumb. Moon. Dumb. Dumb. Wait, that's what I think. Having it better not be. I can't remember that line. It's from a cartoon. Oh God. Wait, what's with Dingus in the fucking cartoons? Like, well, he said two of his were animated, so this is I don't know. In what movie is there a cartoon where someone? Oh, The Incredibles. I hate you. <laughs> Why do you hate me? It's Dingus's clue. Uh, Do you remember this line? That's totally unacceptable. It's great. Line. But it's from a cartoon, right? I don't know. I give up. I haven't seen it. Whatever it is. Not even trying to. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. Mm. I don't think I've. Uh, Sling Blade. You it's know, not... doing that 90210 episode with Luke Perry's <laughs> fucked up your brain. <laughs> I couldn't even think of Kevin Spacey's name. I know. I don't think. I don't know this thing. Is who? Thing is, what actor says the line? Uh, the actor in question is my favorite actor, and the actor's name is Meryl Streep. 
Devil War Prada? <sighs> that's Tom's first Meryl Streep movie. Oh, you did. That's you did uh, the Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's right. I did him. Respectable. See, I got it. When did she say that? That's a cute uh, line, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, when did she say that? Oh, stop it. Um, uh, this perfor- Oh God, I love this performance so goddamn much. Um, uh, this, uh, I, I, I'm getting apoplectic. I apologize. Uh, this, uh, this performance is just transcendent for me. I, I recall being nuts about it when we did the podcast for this movie. Um, two years ago, almost, I think. Uh, but in the interim, uh, I figured it was because Meryl Streep is, is, if not my favorite actor, one of my favorite actors that I liked it so much. Um, but I, but watching it again and I just watched it again. Um, oh man, is she just rocks? I, there, you know, I talked about with, with Tangled, that whole thing of, of, of having to guess celebrities and watching, and, and how great it was not to have to do that. In Fantastic Mr. Fox, there's all these, there's a lot of celebrities. I mean, there's George Clooney and, and, uh, and Bill Murray. Um, but, uh, and I know that she's in it, but I forget she's in it. And she's not even in it as much as I remember that she was in it when I originally saw it, because her performance in this was one of my favorite things that, of that year. It, it, she just disappears. It's just, uh, she's, she's, uh, she's just so great as this, uh, just getting this character and and conveying it, and just a, a fantastic actor bringing forth this this uh, this character. Just and all she's using is her voice. I mean, the you know what what I was objecting to when we were talking a little bit before was how in most animated films or in in most of these other things that we're talking about the actor's uh, vocal performance is also sub- supported by all the things that are going on in the animation or in the special effects or whatever um and while the animation in Fantastic Mr. Fox is really great animation i don't know that what Mrs. Fox is doing is really transcending what she's doing with her voice or really supporting it that much. I mean, there's, there's plenty going on, but her vocal performance just, uh, transcends for me. I don't know. What, I don't know how else to put it. You got to watch the, the film again to see what I'm talking about. What are you doing? Dingus? I'm opening your pod bay doors. Tom. <laughs> uh, Kelly, why you on board with that one? I don't like your impressions. Creepy. I should leave that to you. You're right. Do, do it. Yeah. Do, do it. Do it. Do some more of it, Kelly Wand. How can something so wrong feel so right, Tom? That had way too much emotion. Wait, bring it down. Bring it way, way down. That was so far over the top, Kelly Wand. Dial it back. Dial it way back. Try Dude, again. Harry and I were at the craft services table most of the day. It's good, but dial it back about five more notches. Go. He scraped me there. I don't even know what that means. That, that's a little freaky. Okay. All right, that'll do. That's a wrap, Kelly Wan. That's very good. We're, we got the we got the sound bites we need. It's in the can. Uh, runners up. Robert Shaw. He always talks that way, though. I know, but still. Just the no way he else. talks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is kind of true. I recently watched the original Taking of Pelham One Two Three, and I was just like, "Oh, Quint is so cool." I know. <laughs> Isn't he? 
Was he, I, uh, was he that cool when he was really young, or was he just only Robert Shaw, I'm pretty much sure, was always that age. I think he was born that age. I miss him. What's a what's a young Robert Shaw performance? Because I don't think I like. There's the Sting taking a Pella one two three in Jaws. I don't know what else. Isn't he in Dick Tracy? Oh God, the Madonna thing. Yeah, he was in Oedipus, I think, wasn't he? What? With Douglas Rain. Uh, (laughs) He played played... Creon. (laughs) Wait, the James Bond. he was in a James Bond. Oh, he's the he's the villain in From Russia with Love. He's blonde and he talks uh, like Paul Walker. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> you you know you guys bringing up uh, Heath Ledger just made me think about how great his voice was in Brokeback Mountain because he did just this great mumbling yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all wound up. It yeah. was, and it was also very. It, repressed and and it's just yeah. a he does this great mumbly kind of mountainy gruff thing that and the way he danced too like he didn't really want to dance what does Heath Ledger even talk like for real probably like in Imaginarium where he's uh hitting on Lily Cole that's my theory he's not or like in, but that's not in even Night's Tale that's his real oh voice. yeah which I haven't seen that but I think I feel I feel I should probably see Night's Tale Helgeland does he have his actual accent in that? Yeah, is he I, doing the whole Australian thing? I don't know, but it's crawling up your leg. Do that in the Hal voice. Go. Also, the order. Oh. Uh, Knight's Tale. <laughs> Tom, when you started talking about somebody doing uh, the voice of somebody who was already alive or had been alive, Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me think of, uh, of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote, and ah, yes. what he eventually did with the voice of that character. At first, I thought you were going to go for some sort of uh, Frost Nixon thing, um, but then I started thinking about Capote. Yeah, Capote's a great one. What about Thandie uh, Newton as Condoleezza Rice in W? <laughs> I do love that vocal performance. I do love how I think Kelly Wan described it as Condoleezza Rice as Urkel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I stole that Kelly Wan, by the way. I'm going to now pretend that I came up with that. I describe it as Condoleezza Rice as Urkel. Tom, that's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Wow. You should get a column that no one will ever read. Uh, I recently went back and looked at a few clips of uh, of Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade. And maybe it's just that you have to sit down and watch the whole movie. But watching those clips, I was just like, oh, God, did he really do that in the whole movie? Uh, does that uh, – I don't, I don't know if that holds up. I kind of w- worry that maybe it doesn't because we've seen so much Billy Bob Thornton without that voice that it might be a little – I like his vocal performance in Mr. Woodcock. I love his voice. He's got a great voice. But I don't know yeah. that I – sitting there you know, for 90 minutes of him doing the old the Carl uh-huh thing. And Bad Santa. Yeah. Well, that's the first time we ever saw him, so we thought he was really like that. Close, close. He actually did something called One Close Move? No, One False, one false Move. One False yeah, yeah. Move. Yeah. I like the, that movie. The difficulty with – and I watched uh, Sling Blade a couple of months ago um, – the difficulty with that is that he had developed it as this one-man show, and this thing that he had been working on for it. This was this was a very definite character he had developed, and then he built a film around that character. And so, it, for me, when you watch it again, it does very much feel like this is some dude's character stuff. Right, right. 
and it's hard to see it beyond that. It, it, as good as that movie is, you're right, Tom. It's it's kind of hard to to sit through all that uh-huh for for that amount of time. Uh, other runners up, what do you guys got? Um, the uh, Catherine Zeta Jones in the haunting. In, I prefer Catherine Zeta Jones in Breach. Mmm, <laughs> euphemisms. Uh, I like this pod, this podcast. Uh, I, I like the podcast, but I do like this topic, Dingus. This is a good topic, uh, and there is, you know, when when you if you fold in things like animation, like I thought of uh, Vin Diesel as the Iron Giant uh, before yeah. I even knew that was Vin Diesel. I love the Iron Giant, uh, and that happens to be Vin Diesel, so it, I don't want that to color my perception. Um, but that's, that's the dude um, in Fargo who doesn't. Who's Steve Buscemi's friend? Peter Stromari? Yeah. Ongwin. Peter Stromari. <laughs> Where's in Pancake's Fargo. house? Yeah. <laughs> Peter Stromari in anything, though, really. Yeah, Peter Stromari is... Uh... Except Armageddon. Sorry, Tom. Why? Come on, he's a crazy cosmonaut. Isn't oh, that, that wacky? goofy Russian crap. Oh, come on. What? It's classic. Oh. It's iconic. It's as iconic as Hal. <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer to 2001, Armageddon. <laughs> uh, by the way, that's a, Armageddon is a perfect segue into next week's 3x3. Three three. Are you guys ready for this? Oh, God. I apologize for this one, because this one, you're going to have to reach deep for this. Uh, I, I don't oh, know. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set some terminology here. Uh, let me tell you what it is first. And I'm even going to give up my prime choice, what I might have picked as the, the one that makes me think of this topic. What I want next week from you guys are three bad movies that you like. Huh. Now, here's the deal. You must, in picking something for this topic, you must concede the following three things. That it has bad direction, that the script is bad, and that the performances are bad. So you must concede all three of those facts about whatever movie you uh. Yet you must still like it. So it can't be something like, you know, I, I love finding bad movies that have cool performances. Or there's something like the, the M. Night Shyamalan and The Happening. Bad performances, bad direction, but I maintain The Happening has a pretty cool script. So you can't pick something like what? that. You have to be seen The Happening. Yeah, the script sucks. No, 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 I disagree. I think there's a cool story in the happening about this idea of an apocalypse where where the, the plant stuff, I'm not talking about that. That's stupid. But this idea of an apocalypse where the world is ending because people have to separate themselves from each other. And Dude, the dialogue's terrible. There's more to a script than dialogue, Kelly Wand. I agree that the dialogue is terrible. Well, but I do stupid. maintain that, that there's a cool script at the bottom of the happening, the idea of it. Actually, you know, yeah, you're right. A lot of this stuff in the script is terrible, but I think that there's a kernel for a cool idea there. I think that there's a potentially good script to the happening. <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> Just to be clear, well, this it's like, an imaginary script in your head that was never written. No, no, the, the, cor the kernel of the happening, big spoiler here, is that, that plants release neurotoxin any time that people congregate. So in order to survive, in order for humanity to live, people have to separate from each other and be isolated. It's, it's in a way a similar apocalypse to this great movie called Pulse. Um, uh, so I, I think that the, that the happening could be a good script. Uh, there are parts of it that are really good. I'm sorry. Since it's got a good script, it would be on your list, except for the fact that you don't like it. 
I think there is bad dialogue. And for instance, when Mark, Mark talks to the tree, that's just so absurd. Um, <laughs> and the old woman's dumb. I can't believe we're already getting into a debate before <laughs> we even do the well, category. Tom, this is going to be awesome. He gives an no, example. No, wait, Tom, are you, are you only example. taking Armageddon off the table? Please say please. You're only no, because I don't think. I mean, I maybe I no. I mean, maybe here's the one I'm taking off the table. Uh, I actually Armageddon has a Criterion version for a reason. That's all I'm saying. First oh. of all, second what? of all, I don't think Armageddon has bad performances. Third of all, uh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Hello, Peter Stormari is a wacky Russian cosmonaut. Steve Buscemi getting space sickness. Hello. You didn't say Ben Affleck. You didn't say Liv Tyler. You didn't say. And you won't find me saying either of those. So wait, everything has to be horrible. There can't be a single redeemable. No, 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 no. You must like it. No, no, no. There can be redeemable things about it. You just must concede that the script is bad, that the performances are bad, and that the direction is bad. You must concede those three things. If you want to pick the happening, that's fine. You would also then have to admit you like the happening. I don't think that's right. That's worse than. So the the, the kernel the, the 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 central fact about the movie is that you like it, but you must concede that those three crucial parts of what I feel go into a movie are bad. Um, All of them. But that you still oh, yeah. like, it. right? Wait. So, so here's the one. Okay. Well, here's here's the one I want to take off the table because this is the one that I think of. This movie is bad no matter how you cut it, and I really like it. There's there's a horrible horrible cheesy sci-fi horror movie called Chupacabra Terror which is incompetently directed. Nobody in it is any good. And, the, I mean, the script is just terrible. They're, they're actually, the funny thing is they're good actors. Oh, okay. Terrible. But I love Chupacabra Terror. Uh, so I'm taking that off the table as an example. Nobody could ever watch Chupacabra Terror and mistake it for, for a good movie. The direction, the script, and the performances, I think, are pretty indefensible. They're, they're all lousy. But I still like it. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking for from you guys. Movies where you acknowledge that those three essential elements of them of the movie are bad, but you still like it. Okay, because I, I okay, I get you now. I because I had something on deck that was like guilty pleasure movies, basically. You know that works too, but I just want to be much more specific about what I like that. I like that you're being specific. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I hate you. Come on, Kelly Wan. You know there's a lot of movies like this that'll work, and I I bet your number one begins with the letter Z. <laughs> no, because the performances are amazing. <laughs> uh, all right, so there's that. We'll be doing that next week, and we're going to see. What are we? I don't like Zardoz. What are you talking about? I know. I know. Uh, are we seeing? Did we decide? Oh yeah, yeah uh, Hangover Two for next week. Uh, yeah. Well, what? No one cares what we think of the Hangover Two. It's not, if, if that's that's not why we do the podcast. They care about what we think about bridesmaids. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they come. Uh, so join us next week for our Hangover Two podcast, as well as our three by three of uh, bad movies that we like. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Trzerski. I think it's Moroski. Christian Moroski. That's right. And and also uh, Kelly Wand. Body switch movie, a midget switches bodies with the sun.
Wolf. Uh oh. Wow. Uh, I think. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think both of our recordings crashed. So it looks like I'm going to need what you have, Dingus. One of them crashed halfway through. And I was like, oh, fuck, I hope the other one doesn't crash. And the other one just crashed as we were recording. Let me verify. Well, I had a great uh, post tagline for Kelly. I did, too. Oh, no, you know what? Is this it? How unfortunate that it is it. Yeah. <sighs> Don't post this shit. I mean, only post this shit. Don't post the stuff about bridesmaids. That was all gobbledygook. 